Hey, welcome to the Monkey House Primates. So, thanks so much. I've asked around here to quickly uh, let you all know that we're in Sydney. We're about to be in Brisbane. So uh, very quick stop in Sydney. We're just here for a few nights. So come and see us. And then what are we doing? We're going up to Brisbane. We're going to do a Who Knew It with Matt Stewart at Good Chat. And we're also doing a couple of Dryer Dryers, our comedy festival show. It's the last run of the whole tour. So come on down, Brisbane. That's right. And in Sydney, we're at the Manning Bar and at the Chippo for the Who Knew It. Really pumped up. Hopefully see you all there. Uh, now on with the show. Ook, ook. What is that what the monkey say? Yeah, ooga cha cha. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Primates, the podcast where we explore primates in popular culture from chimpanzee all the way down to chimpanzee. I'm your host, Matt Stewart, and this week joining me in the monkey house is comedian and returning guest. He's a back-to-back guest. It's Dave Warnicky. Hello. Thank you so much. Am I going back-to-back to front? Yeah, sure. Great. <laughs> great, to have, great to have me in. Thank you. <laughs> great to be here. Love it all. We're in uh, Bristol in the UK at the moment. What a lovely place this is. Yes, this is a great spot for the monkey house. It is. It's great. I love being able to get the monkey house on wheels. Yeah. Roll it around the world and uh, see what we can find. We rolled it across the Clifton Suspension Bridge, paid the toll. Yeah. A beautiful bridge. What What a a bridge. bridge. Oh, beautiful. You called it your favorite bridge in the world today. Yeah. I got emotional when I was there, (laughs) but I think that I'm, I think I stand by it. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Now we uh, did a live episode of Book Cheat. Just a week ago, which is what's coming out today at the same That's time. Right, same time as this is a double drop, some call it. And uh, you told us about the classic Sherlock Holmes novel. That's right. The Hounds of Baskerville. The Hound of the Baskerville. That's the right. The Hound of the Baskerville. Is that what it is? The Baskervilles. Yeah, that's right. So we were. There was a live show we did in Glasgow. You, me, and Cory Will from the Side Guys podcast. And uh, yeah, it was a great time going back. It was one of four. Sherlock Holmes novels. There's only four full-length novels, dozens of short stories, but uh, and it's considered by some to be the quintessential Sherlock Holmes novel, and some the quintessential mystery. Right. Oh, fun. So yeah, it was it was it was good fun to cover it on that. So we're we're talking about uh, the Sherlock version of this, which is called The Hounds of Baskerville. That's what confused me. Mm. That bit of fun there. They've uh, they've pluralized the Hound instead of the Baskervilles. That's right. Hey. Well done. Um, yeah. You know. Worth I, an Emmy. I can figure stuff out. Just give me a few clues. Yeah. Like, are you looking confused at me? And um, I'll figure it out eventually. According to IMDb, uh, this series is a modernized version of the Conan Doyle classic. Uh, using his detective plots, Sherlock Holmes lives in early 21st century London 
and acts more cocky towards Scotland Yard's Detective Inspector Lestrade because he's actually less confident. Dr. Watson is now a fairly young veteran of the Afghan war, less adoring and more active. That's according to IMDb. I don't know if that, does that ring true to you? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I think he, he, Watson seems to sort of stand up for himself a bit more in this. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about this episode in particular. If people want to hear about the original, uh, definitely check out this week's episode of Book Cheat first. And then, uh, yeah, maybe we'll talk about differences as we go. Um, I'm hoping Dave will be able to do that because, uh, you know, you've, you've both read the book and now watched the episode. But I was just going to work off the plot synopsis from bakerstreet.fandom.com. Okay. I think that's, that should be the, the source. Are you, before we watched it today, had you seen Sherlock before? I think I'd seen the first episode a year or two ago <laughs> and I, I didn't really like it that much. I, th- I, know, I thought it was okay. Yeah. But uh, I think I just prefer the original Sherlock things. It already, it's only 10 years old, but it feels quite dated to me. Which is funny because it's the modern adaptation. But if they'd just done the period adaptation, you'd probably be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. I guess, yeah, anything that's new is going to look old quicker. So Because I feel like um, we're both big fans of David Suchet in Poirot. Yeah. Because that's set in like sort of period between 1910s and like 30s. Even the oldest episodes that were made in the late 80s, which are like older than I am, I still don't think they look that dated because of the period. Yeah, they're sort of predated. Them, yeah. So, yeah. But with this, yeah, it does feel a bit dated. I'm the same. I've, I think I've only ever seen the first episode before. I didn't quite stick with it. Yeah. I don't know if I'm getting some feedback there. Is it positive? Positive feedback. Was- I'm getting some real buzz. Oh, good. <laughs> Uh, okay, so here is the <laughs> here's the fandom uh, plot synopsis. Sherlock, in the throes of a violent nicotine fit, uh, he swore to quit cold turkey and is not precisely making a rip-roaring success of it. And a perfect frenzy of boredom pines for a case to work upon. After ridiculing an email from a child who asks him to find her luminous rabbit named Bluebell, he is visited by Henry Knight, a man whose father was violently ripped apart by a gigantic <laughs> hound on Dartmoor 20 years earlier. Henry, then a small child, had fled in terror, only to be found in a bewildered state the next morning. So we, I mean, we saw that, didn't we? we yeah, that's sort of the opening of it to sort of suck you in with what's going on here. We see him as a boy uh, fleeing the scene and then we see him uh, in the modern day just standing in that same spot as a, a man just screaming in agony, basically. Uh, but yeah, it's not really clear what's going on at that point. Um, after years of not knowing whether or not it was a false illusion of his imagination, Henry has visited the hollow where the killing occurred and found a gigantic paw print of a dog, prompting his request to help from uh, his request for help from Sherlock Holmes. Although initially dismissive, Sherlock suddenly becomes interested after being struck by Henry's use of the archaic word hound, uh, Sherlock agrees to come down to Dartmoor. Yeah, he's a, he's a real bitch at the start of this episode, isn't he, Sherlock? Mm. He's very sassy. He's sassy, he's short, he's telling people that he's bored, like mid, mid-sentence of them talking. Yeah, he's like, no, I don't, want, I don't care about that. Skip that bit and, when he's, and then <laughs> he's talking about, you know, his parents dying. He's like, no, nope, next, whatever. Yeah. Like, okay. 
Okay. And he then he sort of does a bit of showing off a bit, like just being able to tell uh, what Henry had been up to that morning based on powder on his on his pants. Yeah, yeah. A lot a of bit extra- of sauce on the lip. Yeah, a lot of extrapolation. And he's right. Yeah, he leaps to a few conclusions, mm. and they're always right, basically. Uh, Sherlock and John interview the Dartmoor locals at a local vegetarian restaurant and inn and find that the hound has become a local legend with a guide who takes people on treks around the moor. Right, because we also know it's it's got a bit of a, a local rep because there's recently been a documentary made about it that we see a clip on, clip of on the Sherlock watches. And that also gives us the backstory that near the moor, there's like this chemical like sort of army secret operations plant that's been there for decades called baskerville called baskerville that's right yeah so they these uh, uh tv versions of the of, uh, are kind of inspired by the original stories but yeah they're, they're different twists and turns it is kind of like they've just like they take like about 10 words from the yeah. novel and go all right it's there's a thing called Grimp and Meyer, which is a moor inside the novel. All right, we'll make the, the, the main character, Henry. He's from Grimpen. Yeah. Great, perfect. Baskerville, chemical plant. And then they just cut up the names, throw them around a bit. Yeah, that's right. They'll, they'll take all the key names out of the original and just assign them randomly. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that'd be quite frustrating for someone like you, Dave. Or do you love it? Oh, no, I don't, I don't, no, I don't mind it. It's just funny. You go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See what we've done there. <laughs> Uh, the pair visits the nearby Baskerville military base. Sherlock gains access using an ID card taken from his brother, Mycroft. Uh, he says, oh yeah, I took this a while ago, just in case. Just in case. Just a, like a, they really wanted to inspect the secret. Like it's absolutely top secret. Like the people at the pub say, jokingly, like if you go in there, you probably won't come out. Like yeah. It's kind of like that sort of top secret. So and like, he just, how, how are they going to be able to get in there? Oh, a while ago he... He took yeah. his uh, ID card from his <laughs> yeah. brother. Like, don't worry, I've got an Access All Areas card. <laughs> yeah. Conveniently with me. Um, they're introduced to various officials in the base. Commander Major Barrymore, another name. That's right. There was a butler in the original called Barrymore. And I feel like it's, um, yeah, the way they get in, they pretend that they're doing an inspection. Yes. Military oh. drill. So they're like, oh, no, let us in. And uh, Watson's able to show his actual military ID pulling rank on mm. the guy who's um, interrogating him. He's like, I'm a captain. You'll do as I say. Yeah, let us in. That's an order. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they also talk to uh, genetic scientist Dr. Jackie Stapleton and Dr. Bob Frankla- Fra- Frankland. Is, is Stapleton and Frankland? They're both characters' from- names in the in the book too, yeah. Uh, Sherlock deduces that Dr. Stapleton is the mother of the child who contacted him about Bluebell. When their credentials finally cause a security alert, Dr. Franklin vouches for Sherlock's cover as Mycroft, despite knowing Sherlock's real identity. Franklin intimates that he is a friend of Henry's father and displays a considerable concern about his well-being. Yes. So years ago, he knew... Henry's dad and Henry's dad was famous for like um, sort of having suspicions about what was going on at Baskerville yeah sort of like the local conspiracy theorist yeah and like he's had this relationship with a guy who worked there but apparently they never talked about work that's how they were still friends yeah uh, 
Later on that night, Sherlock and John visit Henry Knight, who tells them about the words liberty and in he sees in his dreams. Uh, he's also been telling his psychiatrist about these. Sherlock convinces Henry to visit the moor in the hope of confronting the beast. Along the way, John gets distracted and follows his own path, where he notices what seems to be a Morse code signal, which is also referencing the book. That's right. There is some signaling with torches out on the moor. Uh, which is in the book, that's a, a real plot point, but in this it's just a red herring. Uh, meanwhile, Sherlock and Henry arrive at the center of the hollow, where they suddenly hear growling. John finally arrives at the top of the hollow, just as Henry sees the beast and panics. The three of them leave in a hurry, Sherlock claiming to have not seen anything, but he's acting weird. Yeah, he looks freaked out. Yeah. The usually unflappable man has been flapped. He is flapping all over the place. Yeah, wow. Put it away. Stop flapping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people are probably at this point wondering what this has to do with primates. Yeah. Uh, and but don't worry, because it's an essential plot point. Yes, um, and we the, unfortunately this um, plot, uh, summary did not. I think it just skipped over it because when they were in the base uh, talking to Doctor Stapleton, Doctor Franklin, they were all testing on monkeys, rhesus monkeys. Mm, a few monkeys on leads and leashes, uh, including one monkey which is called Harlow Three. They say, let's do a test on Harlow 3. Mm. And uh, there's a suggestion that uh, it's possibly referencing the uh, scientist Harry Harlow, who did a bunch of fucked up experiments on monkeys, really not um, medical, but more brutal, sort of <laughs> emotionally. Oh, God, like sort of uh, singing off key to them. Yeah, me, me, my mo, <laughs> me, mo, my me. Uh, in 1958, Harlow separated infant monkeys from their mothers immediately after birth and placed them in cages with access to two surrogate mothers, one made of wire and one covered in soft terry toweling cloth. Uh, in the first group, the terry cloth mother provided no food while the wire mother did in the form of an attached baby bottle containing milk. Both groups of monkeys spent more time with the cloth mother, even if she had no milk. The infant would only go to the wire mother when hungry. Once fed, it, uh, once fed, it would return to the cloth mother for most of the day. If a frightening object was placed in the cage, the infant took refuge with the cloth mother, which was its safe base. So, um, so is the experiment result there that Monkeys prefer terry toweling to wire. Yes, uh, I think that was kind of it. Yeah, give that man a Nobel Prize. There was another one where they, you know, they, they were basically all about just separating infant monkeys from their mothers. Right. Um, that sounds horrific. Sort of summing up how brutal he was, uh, how we how we thought about them. Uh, he said in an interview in 1974. The only thing I care about is whether the monkeys will turn out a property I can publish. I don't have any love for them. Never have. I really don't like animals. I despise cats. I hate dogs. How could you like a monkey? Okay. Was his uh, access to animals revoked after that comment? <laughs> or? Yeah, Jesus. Um, yeah, super grim. But, you know, uh, he died a few years later. <laughs> Great. Was he eaten by a monkey or something? Eaten by a monkey, Have yeah. his arms ripped off by a chimp, hopefully. But, yeah, so... Uh, but 
some people think his test sort of got a bit of attention to it and the animal liberation movement gained some traction because of it as well. Right, so you do something so bad that some, that some, some good comes out of it. Uh, yeah. Wow. You know, you could, uh, if you're looking for a positive. Yeah, <laughs> you try and spin that. So anyway, so we're back to, so Sherlock thinks he's seen something. No, no, he says he hasn't. Mm, but he's clearly But he flapped. clearly has. He's been flapped. Uh, that night at the inn, Sherlock is visibly shaken and then he confesses that he actually did see the hound. John pursues the Morse-like signals which turn out to be unrelated headlight flashes. A few people are boning in a car. It doesn't explain there in the, no. in the description <laughs> that it's uh, people uh, meeting up for... A, it's multiple cars too, isn't yeah. it? It's a real... You described it as dogging. Mm. Um, yeah, so... A real meet-up situation. And you hear someone say, oh, my belt's caught. So maybe it's like <laughs> caught on the headlight for the second night in a row. Yeah, it seemed like a, a wild coincidence that they were doing sort of because Morse yeah, code gibberish. Dr. John wrote down the, and it said like QAM or something. It was like Q-R-U-A-R-M or something. And he was like, what could that mean? Is that an acronym? Yeah. No, people were just banging in a car. If Sherlock found it, it would have meant something. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, he's really unlucky, Dr. John. Uh, uh, meanwhile, Henry Knight is at his house and... He seems to be hallucinating about the hound. According to this, although in the show, I don't think it seemed like he was hallucinating because the lights were coming on and off. Yeah, lights were going on and off. There was something clear, like he had sensor lights in his backyard. He had a gun for some reason. He grabbed a handgun, which I don't think, I think well, are that common in England, are they? No, but I think if anyone was going to have them, it would be the guy who'd seen his dad mauled to death by a large beast. Yeah, okay, you're right. Uh, in the morning, Sherlock suggests that the hound might not be a name but an acronym. How he's come to this conclusion, mm. it's unclear, but uh, of course he's correct. <laughs> uh, he also claims that the dog he saw was not just large and black with red eyes, but also emitting a sort of eerie glow. The pair run into D.I. Greg Lestrade. Is his name Greg in the books? I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know if I've come across like his, a... <laughs> his first name before, Lestrade, and they comment that he's uh, he's got a great tan. He's been on holiday, Lestrade. Yes, and they, uh, uh, Dr. John says, hey, Greg, and <laughs> and Sherlock's like, why are you calling him Greg? And they're like, it's because it's, it's his name. Comes up, full name, G. Lestrade. Ah. So they filled, in, filled it in themselves. They there. filled in the reg. Reg, do you think that's a a bit of a nod to the classic Bill character? Absolutely. Wow. Reg Hollis. G. Reg Lestrade. <laughs> uh, they interrogate the innkeepers, Gary and Billy, about the, a copious order for meat in which John has spotted, which struck him as odd for a vegetarian restaurant. The proprietors own up to keeping a dog on the moor to boost the tourist trade. So they're sort of playing into the... The myth. Because they did say that documentary has been fantastic for us. Yeah, they said they thought that maybe they could get their own Loch Ness monster. Yeah. Uh, But they assure the cops that they killed it because it was uncontrollable and the vet (laughs) made them put it down. Don't worry, we killed it. (laughs) Yeah. This satisfies Greg, but not Sherlock, who assures, uh, assures that the dog he saw was monstrous. 
Using an ID pass borrowed from Mycroft, Sherlock gains access to Baskerville for 24 hours despite Major Barrymore's anger. So, like, he gets a full 24-hour access to this place that is so top secret. No one can go in there and that he gets an unescorted 24-hour access. Yeah, somehow he, he contacted his brother and now he's got a deal that he... Yeah, he can see whatever he likes. And Dr. Watson's also allowed to wander around away from him. So he hasn't even proved who he is. He's he's allowed to wander. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so John uh, investigates the genetics labs where he observes various cages for test animals. We see a few monkeys again. That was the highlight for me. Yeah, you really it just uh, breaks your heart, right? Seeing, well, you know, oh, sorry, you, that you, was not the highlight for me. <laughs> Obviously seeing those, uh, the monkeys, not in those conditions. Yes. Uh, and yeah, he saw various cages, a uh, few leaking gas pipes in a confined chamber as well. As he leaves the chamber, he is stunned by a glaring light and a screeching siren. Trying to leave the lab, he finds his pass card access denied. He hears a growling sound and immediately assumes that it is the hound. Because mm. he also sees there's a cage that's been broken open. That's right. There's a big gap. It's all. It's interesting that he. Why would you think the hand would be in there? Yeah. If it's out loose, what is it broken into? But I guess a maybe top the, secret. There's a second hound. That's what he's saying. It's I've seen it. It's the hound. It's like maybe it's another hound. Yeah. Not. Whoa. whoa it's not the hound. Yeah. Come on. Let's be fair. This is an, an imitator at best. Yeah. Come on, Watson. Watto. <laughs> So he locks himself in one of the empty cages and calls Sherlock, uh, who asks him to describe what he sees. Rendered speechless from horror, John is eventually rescued by Sherlock. Uh, he's uh, By that time, he said, I saw it. Glowing red eyes. Yeah, he describes it. massive. Yeah. It's black. It's glowing. Which is says that in the book as well. I think mm. Corey noted that. That's a bit of a strange comment. How can you be black and glowing? Yeah, that's right. It's probably, you know, midnight on the moor. Sherlock asks him what he saw and, yeah, John claims the dog was exactly how Sherlock had described. They confront Dr. Stapleton, who admits that genetic mutation experiments were conducted on animals. Sherlock now believes that the hound was a manifestation of a drug that causes hallucinations Mm. contained in Henry Knight's sugar bowl. And Stapleton also confirms... That she killed her daughter's rabbit. Yes. Bluebell. And that the rabbits, she has been able to make them glow by mm. splicing in jellyfish DNA. Yes, that's right. And and yeah, the theory of the sugar bowl is that making them all hallucinate. Yes. Because, and I think um, Sherlock thought that because uh, the only thing that everyone had seen it has had in common was that they'd shared that sugar. That's right, because Watson didn't see it out on the moor and he hadn't had the sugar. He doesn't take sugar with his coffee. Mm. Or coffee with his sugar. No, sugar with his coffee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he likes his sh- uh, sugar with coffee and cream. To quote the Beastie Boys. Uh, using the method of his mind palace. Is oh, that a thing? I wonder that, if that comes up a lot. Uh, this was that was probably maybe the hardest bit to watch. There is definitely a moment in the Hand of the Basketballs, the novel, where he says, "I need to think. Leave me alone for a bit." I don't know if he says the word "mind palace," because uh, yeah, he it, the way that it's portrayed here is it's a lot of words up on the screen, a few images coming in, <laughs> and, and him literally swiping stuff is, in and out of his mind is, with his hand, <laughs> like kind of conducting his brain. Yeah. What's it? What's the actor's name again? 
Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. He really. commits. Yeah, I feel like I, I reckon now Benedict might be like, hey, this is a bit silly. Actually, no, he does the exact same sort of stuff as Doctor Strange. Oh right, yeah, no, he's only gotten stranger and stranger. <laughs> Uh, Sherlock reaches the conclusions for somehow because he's in his mind palace, which oh, yeah. is just where he remembers everything. Uh, the words liberty and in seen by Henry in his dream stand for Liberty, Indiana. Taking the geneticists into their confidence, Sherlock and John try to access the confidential files in the Baskerville database, only to be stumped by a CIA mm. database password. Oh dear. Only accessible by Major Barrymore. How did. How did he get around this, Dave? Okay, so he walks into Barrymore's office. He starts looking around and stuff, which is so good. He's like, oh, no, okay, paperclip. No, and it's this that. real sort of 90s yeah, or just, 2000s yeah, just kind of editing of zooming zoom in. Zoom Winston Churchill biographies. And, okay, no. And then he asks um, uh, the geneticist doctor to describe him a little bit. She says, oh, yeah, he's the kind of guy we'd send into the Suez. And he goes, right. Basically, he's like, he's a Tory guy. Okay. Uh, Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher. No, he's probably more of a Margaret Thatcher kind of guy. Margaret. No. The password is Maggie. Maggie. Yeah, he said, because I think uh, someone else suggested Thatcher. And he goes, no, they'd be on first name basis. (laughs) Margaret. No. No. Maggie. Maggie. Capital M. So this is a CIA top secret database. With a six-letter password with no, with one uppercase M, everything else is lowercase, no letters, no symbols, no nothing. And he gets it in one. That major is getting fired. Yeah. That's terrible. Your password was what? <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, Hound is revealed to be a secret military project aimed at creating a chemical weapon that triggers violent hallucinations in the brain. So that the letters of Hound came from the the founding five members. Yeah, names. that's right. It was all their names. It was like you know Chris Henderson, Rachel Olson. It just all comes together. Yeah, Rachel Olson was that? Do you can you believe that? I can't believe that. Uh, looking at a photograph of the scientists involved in the project, Sherlock realizes that Doctor Franklin was involved in the project. I guess he didn't get his name there. No mm-hmm. F in hand. Uh, he was a young guy, right? Uh, at that moment, John receives a phone call from Dr. Mortimer, who tells him... That's another character reference. Yes. So in this, Dr. Mortimer, Mortimer is the uh, therapist, I think. Yes, that's right. But in the book, it's someone else, the escaped... No, in the book, uh, Dr. Mortimer is the one that kicks off the whole case by turning up at Sherlock's house and saying, something weird's happening, happening at Baskerville. Oh, gotcha. And he's like, uh, the new guy, Henry, is arriving soon. So even Henry is a reference there. Ah, there you go. Um, So, yeah, he gets the call from Dr. Mortimer, uh, who tells him that Henry went on a rampage with a pistol while she was with him at the house before running out to the moor. So, yeah, we saw saw his hallucination, Mm. which we assumed was out in the moor, but it turned out it was happening in his house with his his doctor, and he shot 
barely missing her shooting a, a mirror or a window. Assuming that Henry went to the hollow where his father died, Sherlock summons Greg and they rush to the scene. They find a delirious Henry not Henry Knight. Clutching the gun. Yes. And uh, so Sherlock explains to him that the hand was just a hallucination and that his father was attacked by Dr. Franklin wearing a gas mask with red-coloured lenses and a jersey with Hound Liberty <laughs> Indiana written on it or Liberty Inn. Uh, yeah, it's funny that he wore merchandise while he was killing yeah, that's right. <laughs> a witness. Uh, Henry's memories were subdued as a result of a trauma, but as he began to remember the incident, he had to be silenced as well. As another murder would arouse suspicion, and that, isn't that what Sherlock says? A dead man can speak. No, they listen yeah. to a dead man talk or something. That's right, which is the opposite of what Pirates of the Caribbean led us to believe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh... So, with pressure pads installed around the hollow, which release a dose of the chemical compound, each time Henry attempted to face his fears, he would be pushed further into a deeper state of madness. <laughs> because this misty fog comes out and anyone who breathes it, like, you know, gets a dose of the hallucination. So, he's got little pads there. Yeah. That are sensors that are... That is so far-fetched. It's so far-fetched. That's so it's far-fetched. So, ridiculous. so, yeah, this guy, just to stop him from remembering how his dad was really murdered, he, the place where the murder was that they're assuming he'll go to, it's tripped up with pads. He's got to stand on one of those. <laughs> then it will release a mist, which will make him hallucinate. And I guess they're just hoping that that hallucination will be backing up his story. Yeah. That it was a big killer hound. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, pretty silly. Um, as Henry calms down, they all hear the howling of a hound, which had not been killed but simply abandoned by the innkeepers and now appears at the edge of the hollow. In a fit of terror, Sherlock sees the image of Jim Moriarty des- descending upon him. Oh, that's who that guy was. Right, yeah, that's his nemesis. Right. Uh, as he grapples with the phantom criminal, it turns into Dr. Franklin. <gasps> Franklin's turned up. Yes. The man who earlier um, gave them an alibi to stay in the Yes, that was secret. very confusing. Like They were about to be arrested and probably never seen again for breaking into a military like top secret place. And he comes out and goes, no, no, I know these people. Let them go and keep investigating. Yeah. Even though I am the murderer. It made no sense. Yeah. And that, that bit was never wrapped up. I don't think. Yeah. He's like, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of you, Sherlock. Love the blog, Dr. John. Yeah. I love that blog. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I didn't really understand that. But anyway, he returns and uh, the hound leaps upon the party only to be shot down by Greg and John. Henry flies into a vengeful rage and attempts to throttle Franklin, but the doctor escapes because even though they seemed to kill the dog, another dog was out and about. Yeah, either that dog got back up after being shot in the head or another dog appeared. And then while they're all distracted and shot a second dog, Franklin, the evil scientist, ran up, up the little hole and ran away. Yeah, he was, he was out. And they were chasing him down. So they've either just killed a second, let's be honest, innocent dog. And by this stage, they know they're innocent dogs yeah. and not murderous hounds. Yeah, that's right. Because they know I'm hallucinating. That's not really a red-eyed dog. That's just someone's little fluffy mm. Pomeranian. Uh, 
then, so Franklin escapes, but not for long, because he escapes into the minefield and steps on his own pad. That's right, exactly. You know, he's, you think that he'd be aware of pads. Yes. Being a pad master. Yeah, that's right. But, you yeah, know, he steps on one of the, uh, on a mine, uh, pauses for a moment, and then uh, wide shot, explosion. Explodes. The next day, Sherlock and John are having coffee, discussing the case. John is confused as to why uh, he saw the hound in the lab despite not having inhaled the gas from the moor. Sherlock tries to explain that the pipes in the lab must have been leaking the gas. But John correctly guesses that Sherlock was the one who locked him in the lab as an experiment. It's a pretty full-on little experiment from Sherlock. Yes, it is. Uh, John also purposely... uh, John also purposely reminds Sherlock of being wrong when he previously deduced the drug was in the sugar, which hits Sherlock's nerves. He implies he won't get it wrong again another time. (laughs) In the last scene of the episode, Mycroft orders the release of Moriarty from a government facility in which Moriarty has written Sherlock's name all over the walls. We weren't really sure who that was, but yeah, that makes sense. It'd be his arch nemesis. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So that's that's the app. Uh, what what were the? I mean, it was quite different from the original, wasn't it? Yes, it would be. It's it's basically it's a new story. Yeah. The only thing that are the same are some of the names. The location, basi- basically. The, yeah, that's right. So it was a Devon Moor, and they thought it was a hound. And they thought, and people have seen a a, a glowing hound out on the moor. Yeah. And that it apparently killed someone by ripping out their throat. Uh, there's a there's a list of illusions here. Would that be things that? Let's see. We'll read a few. See if they're already, they're interesting at all. Um. Oh, the episode starts with it didn't mention that Holmes was blood soaked and holding a harpoon. Yes, that was apparently that was a reference to the adventure of Black Peter. Okay. Which I guess is one of the short stories. Must be yeah. Um. Holmes' stated preference for something stronger than tea, perhaps 7% stronger, is a reference to his use of a 7% cocaine solution described in The Sign of the Four. Gotcha, that is one of the novels. Right. Uh, The hallucinogenic gas comes from the adventure of the devil's foot. So just like, not just the names, there's references galore to to the texts. Uh, the, The episode contains the first use of Holmes' catchphrase, once you've ruled out the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be true. Uh, which appeared in a bunch of his stories. Sherlock describes Lestrade as a brown as a nut, a phrase taken word for word from a different conversation in A Study in Scarlet. That's the first novel. It really feels like they've just, they've uh, shredded up, like they've, they've printed out all the, yes. all the books, chopped them up into sentences and words. Mixed them around and seen what happened. Uh, when Sherlock is trying to find his hidden cigarettes, he also searches a slipper, which is a reference to the adventure of the Musgrave ritual in which Watson mentions that Holmes keeps his tobacco in the toe end of a Persian slipper. Right. There's, for, for the Sherlock fans, I guess there's a lot, there's yeah. a lot here to be delighted about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Henry Knight quotes the words of Dr. Mortimer in the book. Mr. Holmes, they were the footprints of a gigantic hound. Yeah, that's right. He says, was it a man or a woman? Mr. Holmes, they were 
a gigantic hound. Uh, Henry watches the 1959 film The Hound of the Baskervilles briefly on television. Remember, he was flicking through channels and nearly every channel had a big wolf or dog on it. Right, yeah, poor guy. (laughs) It's unlucky. Um, Yeah, so there's a a bunch of those kind of facts, if you like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Then there's some trivia, but, you know... Could it be any more fun than what we've already read out? Let me pick one in there, one, one at random here. Okay, a bit of trivia here. Here we go. In the original script, Dr. Mortimer was to be killed but Henry uh, by Henry, but the idea was discarded. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, that gunshot. Yeah. Yeah, right, so he was going to shoot. That would have been a grim extra. He just shot the therapist who was completely innocent. Yeah. Yeah, there was also a scene where Watson had a date with her, which was set out up out of nowhere. Yeah. It's very strange. Or was it? You know, am I asking for, my, for, for them to spood feed us? Why can't they just jump into a new scenario? Yeah, that's right. Unexplained. Fill it in yourself. Uh, there's a bunch of errors. I'll pick one of these at random as well. When John and Sherlock first see Lestrade inside the bar, he has a beer in one shot. He lifts it to take a drink. But the next time you see the beer, it is still completely full. What? What are we meant to imagine this is some sort of magic beer? <laughs> Jeez, I hope someone got fired for that blunder. Yeah, so funny. Yeah. What, what did you think of the show episode overall? And, and you know, comparing the two. Well, I don't want to, like, shit on it, okay? But, okay, but you, I, are you going to? I, no, I just wanted to say I, I didn't love it. It didn't grip me. I thought there was a few too many coincidental things. It went quite long too. Mm. It's like full movie length. And I feel like for that, I, I think I agree with you. I probably would have just rather watched like a movie adaptation of the novel, which I thought was probably a bit of a better story. Yeah. So I would give Sherlock a go again because I kind of like some of the stuff in the world. I thought um, Martin Freeman, it's great as John Watson, really like, liked his performance. And Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes maybe he's less of a prick when he's not having tobacco withdrawals. I think he is supposed oh, to be yeah. a bit like smarter than everyone, have a bit of a complex, but I think this was to the extreme. For the first 15 minutes, I was just like, shut up. Yeah. You're so rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure is meant to be it, but when you haven't watched the whole series, you're like, mate, come on. Um, now, you, you normally say your bunch of bananas is about six, is that right? Or you've changed every week, to be honest. Yeah, it just depends, you know, what's on special. Okay. What's ripe. Yep. Uh, but a perfect bunch for me would be, I'd say seven. One for every day of the week. Yep. Like putting them on my porridge. I'm the same. Now, what do you, how many uh, bananas do you give this out of seven then? Out of seven. I'd probably give it a four out of seven. Four out of seven for Dave. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I didn't hate it. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to come across as like, you know, I know people love it, but I was just a bit like, oh yeah. Yeah, it was, been, yeah uh, maybe it wasn't the best episode, I don't know. But it's, it's funny because it's supposed to be the best novel, you know? Yeah, I think, and it's probably, it's pretty rough that we've just we've just heard the the original as well. It's hard to compare that yeah. with a classic. Um, but yeah, overall, I kind of like, you know, the actors are great. and Yeah, they are, they're good. And, you know, it's... It was more, there you know, was just a few things where I'm like, wait, how have you jumped to, you've leapt to yeah, this? Yeah, a couple and, of uh, conclusions that were leapt to without much explanation, which, you know, you go, oh, it's, come on. And then there was, you know, they, they go on about how much he he notices everything and he, you know, I can see that little dust on your thing, so I know that that means you're a Gemini or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but then he went to Henry's place and offered him a coffee 
and he had to go through every cupboard to find it. Yeah, I also thought, like, surely he would know that man would keep his coffee yeah. the top right-hand shelf <laughs> furthest away because on Saturdays he finds himself tempted to have more than one coffee, but then it keeps him up at night. So, really, he tries to make it difficult for himself to have a coffee. Yeah, exactly. There'd be some bullshit like, like that. that. <laughs> but, yeah, he just forgot himself in that moment, I guess. Uh, I'm also going to give it a four out of seven. I thought, you know, I... I happy to watch it yeah it's a bit of fun yeah sorry if i've been mean um but you know no i don't think we've been too negative i just uh, we just didn't love it i like i do love this genre though of course i love a whodunit yes i think that's the thing is that the i think we're spoiled for choice and like out of the choices i'd probably go oh i'll I'll pick a poirot i'll pick a vera over oh vera do you know vera it's another english one don't know vera it's great you know another one of those ones that's uh Named after the title okay. of the character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, the other thing we like to do is, um, based on Andy Matthews, who's some sort of scientist, he once told us that something like 98% of DNA is shared between humans and chimpanzees. Wow. Uh, now, how much of yourself did you see in the primates on screen today? Wow. The Reese's monkeys. Well, every now and then I feel like I'm sort of trapped in a cage, you know? mm but you're doing just fine. Yeah. And despite my rage, I'm still just a monkey in a cage. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm probably like a 71%. Okay. So like, you know, sometimes I feel I feel like I'm really sharing a lot, but other times I don't see myself in them. Uh, the etymology you might be interested to find out. It's a, a possible uh, lit connection uh the name rhesus is reminiscent of the mythological king rhesus of thrace a minor character in the iliad oh there you go uh, however the french naturalist jean baptiste ardeber who applied the name to the species stated it has no meaning <laughs> the rhesus macaque is also known colloquially as the rhesus monkey yeah so um but so what what have you what have you gone with there? I went with a seventy one. Seventy one percent. Yeah, that's great. I'm thinking like, you know, I I think they're great. Um, I I don't want to be like I'd say a hundred percent, but that would be cocky because that's how great these monkeys sure. are. Sure. Um, but how much of myself do I see in them? Um, based in you know the fact that I would also hate being in a cage and yeah. uh, lash out at any moment. Um, I'm gonna go with sixty nine percent. Right, safe number. And uh, Dave, we got a a question or a, a message coming from Lars van Coverden from Utrecht in the Netherlands. Fantastic. Uh, listeners, if you have any questions or facts or suggestions or uh, for topics for future episodes, there's a couple of links in the show notes. Please hit them up and let me know, you know, whatever you like. Uh, Lars wrote, last Sunday I went to the Appenhill in the Dutch town of Appeldoorn, which is a zoo solely dedicated to primates. It was honestly the most fun zoo I've ever been to. All of the non-limb Terry primates get to roam free in between the visitors. Wow. The limb Terry ones also have a lot of living space. Don't worry. I saw a red ruffed lemur steal a piece of candy and a baby Barbary ape jumping on a trampoline. (laughs) 
A family of Emperor Tamarins was about the cutest thing I've ever seen. They're a lot smaller than I expected. The silvery marmoset was also very cool. Looks like a little Star Wars creature. Seven out of seven bananas. Yeah, that's a full bunch right there. Uh, should visit if you ever come to the Netherlands. Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, bonus Dutch monkey saying, if you feel like it. Jehet Appenzur Schrecken. Oh, yeah? Uh, means being startled the monkey acid equals being heavily startled. No, it does not make much sense in Dutch either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, loving the pot is back. Oh, thanks so much. It was a, a pleasure to have your message come in, Lars. Um, yeah, we're pretty much coming up to the end of the episode here. Uh, I don't think we have any reviews come in this week. If anyone has any five-star reviews, I'll read them out at the end of the episode. Have you have you come across any monkey... Any any monkey related stuff lately, Dave? That you wanted to talk about before we go? Um, Question without notice. Yeah, I was going to say. It's, are you looking at me like I like we've talked about this? Um, any monkey related stuff? Yeah, because I I don't know if we talked about your favourite monkey last week or ape, I should say. I've got multiple changes yeah. all the time. Yeah, that's the trick with me too. Changes all the time. You know? I think my standard's probably the orangutan, but yeah, it's an absolute. It's a ripper. It changes a lot. What about a howler monkey? Howler monkeys are so good. They've been calling to me lately. Yeah, I love a howler monkey. Yeah, let me put put me down for a howler this week. All right. But I'm still working it out, you know? I'm I'm getting a little, a playoff, a top 10 going. Yeah. How Uh, can you limit a top 50? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Why would, why do they even make us rank them? Yeah, come on. What? But they demand it. Yeah. I don't understand why. They're needy. Because I just want them, you know, I think they can all be our favourites all equals that's right we want them roaming around happily together like in Utrecht don't rank your friends don't rank your primates uh, Dave where can people find you they can find me on the Book Cheat podcast especially this week's episode with yourself and Corey where we talked about the Hand of the Baskervilles that is out now or on the Do Go On podcast oh yeah which uh, this week we talked about the Night Witches yeah good fun uh, some Nazi killing uh, bomber what? plane pilots world war ii badasses through and through yes uh you can find primates at primates pod on instagram twitter and facebook um yeah feel free to send us through any questions or anything if you like uh but that brings us to the end of the episode we'll see you next week but dave uh as we always say here at primates podcast chimps forever Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.